You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. Looking at the Lord's Prayer, okay, what's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. We've been looking at that. Last week, all we did was Our Father in Heaven, Hallowed Be Your Name, and I'll review that a little bit. So we're just going to look here is when the Lord says, when you pray, or therefore when you pray, or pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is just a model we looked at. You know, we said last week, this is a model that Jesus was giving his disciples. It's for us. There's nothing wrong with reciting it. There's more in here that's in depth, though. Our, that's plural, our, because we're all children. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's not saying your name is hallowed. Let your name be hallowed, right? And if you look, there is this pattern here. First, we are to go to God, see, have reverence for who he is, where he is, his name, and the holiness that he is. And this kingdom of his would come, his will would be done. And then it, it, then it focuses on the provision for us, our bread, our daily bread, our daily provisions. Forgive us our debts. This is before the cross. Think about that. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven. So we have forgiven, so forgive us. But that's not something that is necessary to do. Let's, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's make sure, right? We know that. We are forgiven. And then lead us not into temptation, you know, which is, it, it's interesting. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, the Pope has changed this. <laughs> the Pope has said it was, we can make the change on this text now because it's not right to think that God would lead us into temptation. However, that part is there, I believe, because the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, <laughs> Right? Um, so I forgot what he changed it to. Do you remember? Okay. And then deliver us from evil. And it's not, some translations say the evil one. Um, it's not, it's the evil. It's deliver us from us. Deliver us from the works of the flesh that are evident. You know, uh, things like that. Okay. So we saw then that last week that that the first petition, it was hallowed be your name. It's a request. That God would set himself apart and to display his holiness and to bring himself the honor that is his. So Jesus is telling us to pray, let your name be treated as holy. 
right? So hallowed be your name is a request. It's not a declaration. We are saying, Lord, cause your name to be hallowed. So now we come to the second request. Your kingdom come. That's all. I'm not even going to get to your will be done. We're going to have to look at your kingdom come today. Young's literal translation says, thy reign come. And an even more literal translation states, come the kingdom of you. All right. So I've mentioned the kingdom of God many times. Um, which, by, by the way, I've almost been here a year. Guys, <laughs> it's gone by fast, huh? Wow. Um, when I used to fill in and when I first started, I was talked about the kingdom of God a lot. Kingdom of heaven, okay? These are synonymous. They're the same kingdom, all right? It's, it's constantly used in connection with the rule and reign of God in our lives and the rule of Christ in the hearts of his uh, His brothers and sisters actually if i say christ <laughs> in the hearts of believers okay so when it says thy reign come think of god's rule and reign in your life okay the greek for kingdom and its usage relates to kingship authority and rule all right especially of god and this is interesting of God in both the world and in the hearts of men. So I found that to be interesting looking at that in the world. But we need to understand the importance of the kingdom and its usage. Okay, here in Matthew, it's written, it's written by a Jew for the Jews. Okay, so he uses kingdom of heaven instead of kingdom of God. All right, because we know the Jews thought God was so distant and so holy, they didn't even speak the name God. They wouldn't say it. They won't even spell it out. It's G-D. So Matthew, his gospel starts with this kingly office, all right? Uh, the office of Christ. And it says, Jesus is the son of David and Abraham and the promised Messiah. Now, the son of David is a kingly title. We should know that. And we know that David was given a kingdom that would be everlasting, right? He wanted to build this temple and do all this stuff. And God's like, no, you, got, you know, get some blood on your hands now. But, I, I, you know, your throne will last forever. Right. Spiritual throne. So when Jesus was referred to as the son of David, he was being referred to being in this generation of kings. OK, so throughout the generations between David and Jesus, the king of Israel never failed to be a descendant of David. And it pointed and it pointed in a prophetic way to the office and kingship of, of Jesus. So we see that in the book of Matthew, it immediately sets forth the kingship of God. And it's com totally consistent throughout the Old Testament. All right. You know, in Psalms 145, 13, it says your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all ages. Okay, so this is obviously about the Lord, right? And in Matthew 1, 1, Matthew states that this is the promised Messiah. It says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You have to, if your mind goes and thinks like mine does, 
Mine does. Probably, he's probably glad it doesn't. <laughs> Abraham, all right? We know David and Abraham had these covenants, right, with, the, with God. Moses and the Israel people had a covenant with God, but you don't see anything here, son of Moses, do, you, do we? Abraham, David, these are going past Mosaic covenant to Jesus, right? And uh, that's a whole other can of worms, I understand, but I just thought of that. So, <laughs> Jesus as king, okay? He comes to proclaim the kingdom and his ministry was centered around this. Matthew four seventeen. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Alright? Now, if you're taking notes or on your Bible you want to scratch, the, it could be the kingdom of heaven has come near. So he's announcing the presence of the prophesied kingdom for Israel as the Messiah. He's the prophesied one. He's the promised one, okay? His ministry literally revolves around announcing the kingdom that was promised to them in the Old Testament prophecies. All right? The kingdom is the heart of Christ's message. And, and then here in the Lord's Prayer in 610, he's, he says, tells his disciples to pray, your kingdom come. All right? Now, the Talmud... I've mentioned that before, Jewish tradition. This is a, a commentary of God's word that they had. But this is the, the stuff they were always holding up higher than the actual uh, law. But it says that the prayer in which there is no mention of the kingdom of God is not a prayer at all. All right. So that should show the importance that the Jews placed on the kingdom of heaven. All right. So. If Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, then it seems then that the kingdom had not yet come or fully come. And then it starts to get a little confusing. This whole phrase, the kingdom of God, has always been a part of confusion for the last several years that I've been studying and talking to people. All right. We're confused about it today and... <laughs> They were confused about it in the biblical days. Uh, an example for those today that are confused about it would be dispensationalists. Okay? Th their thought, they, they believe Jesus brought the kingdom in his ministry. Okay? But when he ascended, alright, after the resurrection, he took the kingdom back with him. He's like, see it? Takes it back with him, right? So they believe the kingdom was supposed to be physical. They believe that. But the Jews, since they rejected him and crucified him, he, he instead died for the rest of the world. Plan B. All right. And the, Gent, the Gentiles. And then he goes back to heaven to be with God with his kingdom. All right. So they are waiting for then the Gentile church to be raptured off the earth. And only then will Jesus bring the kingdom back to the Jews and in a physical manner to be manifested on earth. Because it's all about Israel. Alright, so to all that I say, let's look at the scriptures to see what they say of the timing or the arrival of the kingdom. 
And the first mention is from John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. All right? Now, we've already read this statement. We've already heard it. But this is John the Baptist, and he's saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or has come near. Now, we already looked at Matthew 4, 17, but it says from that time, Jesus began to preach. All right. From that time, he's preaching, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then I'm going to keep adding this. I'll tell has come near. All right. Now, I keep saying has come near because that's what the Greek literally literally means. All right. At hand, that phrase, at hand, it introduces a state of affairs which has already begun. Okay? So he's saying the kingdom of God has already begun. Now in Matthew 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples together. He commissions them to go throughout Israel preaching the message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's verse 7. So, The content of their message was identical with the message of Jesus and John the Baptist. And now notice, go to Matthew 12, and notice what Jesus says here. It's something a little different. It's Matthew 12, verse 28. He's casting out a demon, causing a a riffraff here. a phrase we like to use at home when we hear birds fighting (laughs) it says but but if it is by the spirit of god that i cast out demons then the kingdom of god has come upon you all right so we have at hand it's a it's begin it's already begun it's near now it's come upon you So if there's any doubt, or if there was any doubt, that the kingdom of God had arrived in in an inaugural sense with this first advent, this coming of Jesus, he's sweeping it aside by proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come upon you. All right, so that phrase, has come upon in the Greek, it suggests an arrival which catches unaware. So the only logical conclusion here is that the kingdom of God had come in the first century, okay? So the kingdom was being brought into its fullness, and it's during the first century. It's during the ministry of Jesus, and he doesn't take it back with him when he ascends. All right, and we'll see that. So now, if the kingdom of God had come then, then it should be clear that the nature of the kingdom was what? Anyone guess? <laughs> Don't stare at me. <laughs> it's spiritual. Right? The nature of the kingdom was spiritual. It is spiritual. Time defines nature. All right? Jesus said that the, the kingdom has come. That's time. So the nature of it is spiritual. All right? So the nature of the kingdom that Christ preached was Entirely contradictory, all right, or contrary to with that which the Jews had anticipated, along with dispensationalists today, I believe. 
All right. The Jews anticipated a complete seize of the empire of Rome. All right. And they're they're probably going by the book of, of Daniel. All right. The book of Daniel still does lead many to believe this. All right. Now, we don't have time to go over all that. All right. But if you're taking notes, you want to look at it later. It's Daniel 2 verse 40 and Daniel 7 7. Okay, but he he's talking about these four beasts, okay? There's these four beasts and all this, okay? These are these are empires that were lived out though through real nations. Ba- uh, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then the fourth beast is Rome, all right? Uh and here's the thing, there's a stone, it's not cut by human hands, and it comes, crushes the fourth empire, and it grows into a mountain. All right, Jesus is the stone that's not cut by hands. He comes into the fourth empire, the fourth beast, okay, which was uh, dreadful and powerful. He comes into the Roman Empire. It's, it's clear to see once you study it. All right, he comes in there, and that's when he arrives. And that's when it says these things are happening. So it's likely that the Israelites understood the history, the three which had come and gone, and they were in the middle of the rule of that fourth beast, which was the empire. But they don't see the spiritual aspect. And I'm going to give you examples here. But Daniel makes it clear that the the fact that during the, the days of this fourth beast, Rome, the Roman Empire, that God would set up his everlasting kingdom. All right, Daniel 2, 44. It says, And in those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So in those days of Rome, he's going to set up this everlasting kingdom. But the Jews had a literal understanding or interpretation of this. That and other Old Testament passages seem to be saying that there was going to be a time of this literal physical kingdom, and it would be established with and through them the israelite people all right so if we didn't have the new testament we would probably think this too (laughs) right but the good thing about the new testament is we have jesus we have his interpretation of these old testament prophecies all right so we know what jesus said and it seems to clearly state and identify a kingdom um a kingdom nature that's opposite from uh, the traditional view that existed in the minds of the Jews that day and to many this today. All right. So the, the Pharisees, you could turn to Luke 17 now if you're following along. But the Pharisees, they had the natural and physical interpretation of the kingdom. So G- Jesus was constantly showing them that the nature of the kingdom was spiritual. All right. The Pharisees asked, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus corrects their interpretation of the nature of the kingdom. It's Luke 17, uh, 20 and 21. When it says being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in the ways that can be observed. 
nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Or you could say within you, or within your grasp. All right. The word observed here means visual evidence. If you can't see it, then what, what, what type of kingdom is it? Again, spiritual, right? It's a spiritual kingdom. And Jesus is telling them the kingdom of God is not what you expected. For the kingdom of God is a kingdom that is within you. It's not physical. So the spiritual nature of the kingdom then is easy. It becomes easier to understand if you see that the kingdom is God's rule and reign. It's that power and authority, okay? And it belongs to those who believe because it's within us. And that who, what, what do we compromise or, or comprise, right? We comprise of what? The body of Christ. We are the church. Matthew 16, 18, and 19. <clears throat> Peter's just shared what the Father has shared with him on who Jesus is. And Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I don't have time to get into that part, but it's not what you think it is if you've been charismatic. So, <laughs> but Jesus, Jesus here discusses the kingdom and the church in the same breath, okay? I've heard, I've heard some people say kingdom of God and the church are synonymous. I don't agree with that at all. Um, I believe if you put them together, like I said, it's the rule and reign Right, That's within us, and we make the body, so we are the church, Christ is the head. But they're not synonymous, okay? But he, he discusses them together, and he's saying the confession you just made will be the foundation of my church. And I'm going to give you the authority in the kingdom, right? Because it's within us. So look at what Jesus tells Pilate during his, he's been arrested. This is John 18. 36 and 37. <clears throat> Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Okay. He's been saying it's at hand. It's near. You can grasp it. It's within you. And then he says, it's not of this world. And this is what's important. Thinking of what the Jews had in mind about the promised Messiah. Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. So Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Okay? So Pilate only understood physical kingdoms. So when Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world, Pilate's like, are you a king then? Because he didn't understand how Jesus could be a king if he didn't know about his kingdom or where his kingdom was or he couldn't see his kingdom, right? Jesus, he's speaking about spiritual realities 
And Pilate cannot see it or understand this because he has no spiritual insight. Same thing with Nicodemus, okay? Do you guys know that, right? The, the story with Nicodemus, he, he, he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. He's acknowledged to him to be this great teacher from God. It's in John 3, 3. Um, he's asking about... <laughs> He's asking all these this question, and Jesus says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Now, Nicodemus doesn't understand this. He's like, "How can a man go back into his mother's womb?" Right? No spiritual insight. He's Jesus is given the requirement of being part of the kingdom here. Nicodemus he doesn't get it because Jesus uses a physical illustration about a spiritual truth, okay? <clears throat> you literally can't be born again, like physically. We know this. Nicodemus knew it. He's very confused. But Jesus said born from above, actually. So it's, that's important. He uses a physical illustration about phys or sp spiritual truth. So, we see that the kingdom was set up in the first century, okay? So why is Jesus saying to pray, your kingdom come? <clears throat> this is where it can get a little hairy, <laughs> if you will. Go to Luke 21. Because this is where you're going to see this phrase again, but you're going to see it talking in, a, in a, a, a truly different context now. I'm going to turn there too because there's something else I want to... Okay. It's Luke chapter 21. Now we'll be... If you were to look at this... Now this is the parallel text of Matthew 24 which is the Olivet Discourse, okay? So if you were to look up th at 21, starting at 5, if you have these headings, you're going to see Jesus foretells destruction of the temple. Jesus foretells wars and persecution. Jesus foretells destruction of Jerusalem and then this coming of the Son of Man. They're all in this order. All right, 20, 21, 31, and 32, it says, So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Okay, what, <laughs> right? What things? Go up, go up to 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Now we don't get the army part in Matthew 24, but Jesus speaks of an abomination of desolation. So here, part of the desolation is when Jerusalem is surrounded by armies, okay? And then he says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. What was all that is written? Moses and the prophets. Now, what, here's what's in this last part of 24. Okay, like they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, people who don't 
see the kingdom of God today and they're acting like the those in the first century waiting for a physical fulfillment of of taking over an empire um this is just they go by Romans 9 10 and 11 they think all of it fullness of the Gentiles will come in rapture all of Israel will be saved all right we're all Israel though we are grafted in we're Israel. Jesus can't, comes and fulfills what? The role of Israel, okay? So G, it says Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. I, this is notes I just took this as I was standing here this morning when we first got here. You go to Daniel 12, <clears throat> chapter 7, or sorry, chapter 12, verse 7. And it says, And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and a half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Who's the holy people? Israel. Chapter 12 of Daniel is about the time of the end, not an end of time. Okay? Time of the end. Time of the end of what? The Old Covenant. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. That's interesting. Luke is an account of the Olivet Discourse, okay? We've recently learned about audience relevance and time statements. And you look back at Luke 21. So also when you see these things take place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. All these things in... In the Olivet Discourse. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What was heaven and earth? We've gone through that, right? Is it physical, literal, material, heaven and earth? No. It was the nation Israel. It was the old covenant. Alright? So Luke ties the destruction of Jerusalem with the appearance or the full arrival of the kingdom of God. And he also states that the kingdom will arrive in its fullness before that generation, first century, before that generation standing there dies. That's amazing. <laughs> right? Matthew 16, 27 and 28. For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory, all right, look, in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Here's this line, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. There's just no way around this text. There's not. Who's he talking to? When's this taking place? 
this generation will not pass away till this is all, until all has taken place. And then he says, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. According to these verses, Christ was to come into his kingdom, all right, with his kingdom within the lifetime of those who were there in the first century, the lifetime of his disciples. He said that some of the disciples that he was talking to would still be alive when this happened. All right, so Jesus was going to leave them and come to his kingdom, right? And literally, you could just say, he's the kingdom. <laughs> he is the kingdom. He's going to leave. He receives this. And when he returned in glory, this kingdom would be fully consummated. And coming in glory would be what? The coming on the clouds. It's coming on the destruction of Jerusalem. Why? Because covenant partners, right, are what? God is the husband. The, the Israelites were what? They were the, the partner, but unfaithful partner, an adulterous nation, right? He's divorcing them because they've rejected him over and over and now that covenant's coming coming to an end. Jesus is coming into his kingdom, fully consummates this when he comes in judgment on Jerusalem in 70 AD. So the kingdom of God is spiritual because it is within us. And if somebody wants the physical, then you could say, look at the church. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. They actually want physicality. So on this part of the prayer, then I know that's a lot to just say about the, for this prayer, for the Lord's prayer. Does anybody have any questions so far about any of that there? You guys good? Anyone? <laughs> All right. It's just hard. There's no way to get around those statements, right? What was right for the disciples in the first century to pray is not necessarily right for us to pray today. All right. Because we look back on what they were looking forward to. Right. So we have to understand that audience relevance then to fully understand this. So are we to pray this part of this prayer? Right. <clears throat> Remember, it's a model. It's a model that Jesus was setting for us. We need to understand God's word to pray it effectively. And, to, and praying for something to come that we already have is a little off track. All right? And that goes for so many things. With, I mean, we have this conversation with people a lot. Just your identity. You're a saint. The Bible says you're a saint. You're righteous. You're holy. You're blameless. Why? Because you're in Christ. People are always just crying out, right? All the time, create me a new heart. You've been given a new heart, it says. You don't have to pray the prayer that David prayed. We're in this covenant of grace. Why would we pray that if you're a new creation, right? Why would we pray for the kingdom to come if it's within us and the church comprises of the, the body of Christ where the rule and reign and authority is at, okay? So the kingdom of God has come all right. Now, I know I don't really have to give you guys warnings and stuff. I know you aren't out there looking at everything like I do. 
There's no like some dominion thing going on here. I don't get into that. There's dominion theology and all these types of kingdom theologies and stuff like that. We're not to we're not gonna like take over the world <laughs> and stuff like that. I'm just the kingdom is within us, okay? <clears throat> it's spiritual, it's his rule and reign that's in our lives. So to pray for it to come is to not understand what has happened. Right? Some are still waiting for that physical kingdom, something that is observed to be established on earth. And those who think that, all right, and I'm not trying to be mean, but those who think that, the, 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 like dispensationalists and the futurists, okay, they are as guilty as the first century Jews were in misunderstanding the kingdom's nature. So I'll end with this, that perhaps we should be praying our heavenly father, glorious and full of grace and mercy, cause your name to be treated and known as holy. And thank you, Jesus, for raising us from death to life and recreating us to be citizens in your everlasting kingdom.